I'm Amanda Olberg, Managing Editor of Education Next. We invite you to join this week's Education Next podcast, available online Wednesday morning each week at educationnext.org. Over the past 20 years, Western Governors University has helped over 82,000 Americans, many of them adult learners, earn college degrees. The institution's competency-based educational model has earned praise from across the political spectrum as a source of innovation in American higher education. In late September, however, the Inspector General of the U.S. Department of Education released an audit calling for the department to bar Western Governors from receiving any federal financial aid payments going forward, and to pay back more than $700 million in aid it had already received. How did Western Governors run afoul of the department's internal watchdog? And what does this episode reveal about the barriers to innovation in American higher education? I'm Marty West, Editor-in-Chief of Education Next, and joining me today to discuss Western Governors University and its recent travails is Michael Horn. Michael is a distinguished fellow at the Clayton Christensen Institute for Disruptive Innovations, a nonprofit think tank he helped found, and he's also, of course, an executive editor at Education Next. You can find an article discussing the OIG's audit of Western governors on the Education Next website at www.educationnext.org. Michael, welcome back to the EdNext podcast. Thanks for having me, Marty. So regular readers of the journal will be familiar with Western Governors from the cover story of the fall 2017 issue of the journal in which journalist John Marcus took a close look at its model of higher education. But maybe we can start out by having you remind readers of Western Governors' origins and what's distinctive about its approach. Yeah, absolutely. So Western Governors University was founded uh, in 1997 uh, as the story goes, by 19 governors from the western part of the United States, hence the name Western Governors. Uh, and it was founded on a unique model. It was uh, leverages online learning uh, with competency-based learning. So students move on as they master concepts, not based on credit hours or, or, or time, so to speak, uh, although the Department of Education does require that Western Governors map back from its competencies uh, to time-based elements to receive uh, federal financial aid. Now, what's interesting about the educational model is that Western Governors has really disaggregated uh, the role of the faculty uh, uh, to, to, to deliver on this innovative educational model. And so, in, in essence, instead of one faculty member doing lots of different roles, Western Governors, in essence, has four different faculty members, uh, the first of which uh, is, is sort of the content expert that creates the courses uh, that are part of the study uh, of any student that enrolls. The second uh, role is uh, the, this this role of uh, mentor that follows you throughout your entire experience uh, in completing the degree at Western Governors. Uh, the third role is what they call a course mentor, and this is someone that's specific to the given course that you're in, uh, who's not necessarily a PhD student, but probably a master's level uh, uh, understanding of the field, who guides you in the particular course of study you're in at any given point in time. And then the fourth level uh, is what they call, and, and this was a big focus of the piece in, in the journal, uh, basically an assessment expert. And so Western Governors basically says there's objective assessments that are multiple choice, computer scored tests, and then there's performance-based assessments. 
where you actually model the work that you would be doing as a nurse or teacher and get feedback uh, from uh, these trained, uh, in essence, psychometricians who evaluate your work in an objective third-party way so as not to introduce bias when they're making determinations of whether you've mastered a competency or not. Yeah, what's so interesting about the model to me is that last point, the way in which the instructor in a given course is no longer the evaluator of the student's competency at the end of the day, and it changes the instructional relationship so that the instructor becomes more of a coach uh, for the student in a way that I think is really interesting, irrespective of how it's using technology. I, I think that's right as well. And from my standpoint, you know, we often ask faculty members or teachers in K-12 as well, right, to uh, evaluate uh, student work, and they're not really trained uh, for that uh, for that role in a valid, uh, valid and reliable way. And so Western Governors basically says, let's have an army of people uh, whose sole job is to do that, take the bias out of the system, and then the teacher that you're interacting with is really there, just as you said, as a coach and advocate uh, to make sure you stay on track at the resources you need to help you master, uh, as opposed to in, in, in certain elite settings of higher ed where the professors often view their role to weed people out <laughs> of a course of study. Uh, and so it really changes both the relationship, but I also think the rigor uh, with which it's, it's required uh, to actually demonstrate mastery. And I, I think it has lessons, quite frankly, for, for all of our education system. Now, the fact that it has this competency-based approach starts to... Uh, I don't know, point in the direction of some of the aspects of its model that ran, uh, that caused it to run into trouble with the Department of Education's regulators. Um, so tell us a little more about how exactly students progress through a degree program at Western Governors. Is the idea that they can take an assessment at any point in time in order to be able to move forward at their own pace? Yeah, that's exactly right. So, so in essence, when you enroll, you enroll for, say, a six-month time period at a time uh, where you're paying a flat rate, and you can take as many courses uh, as you master in, in, in that time frame. So students love it, uh, given the self-paced nature of it, but it's self-paced only if you actually master the assessments. And so if you come in with prior learning and you can demonstrate that on certain competencies, you can certainly accelerate faster through material uh, if, if you don't know something, you know, you dig in and you learn it through the material that uh, the course uh, uh, content experts have created. And then when you're ready to stand for the assessment, you do and, and, and you try to demonstrate mastery. If you don't, you go back and you keep working until you, you can show that fluency and mastery. And what do we know at this point about the success of the model or success of students in going through the model? Yeah, it's a great question. So, so uh, I, I think the best way to say it is that uh, <laughs> if we have limited viewpoint uh, into any success in higher ed, right, from an objective standpoint. But Western gover governors' numbers seem to be pretty good. They they have a uh, an impressive six-year graduation rate that is on par uh, with the national average, while serving a much more challenged population of adult students, often who are low income, uh, trying to get into or up through the workforce. Uh, the employers that they survey uh, express uh, high satisfaction with the graduates of Western Governors University, and indeed they work tightly with those employers uh, to construct the courses themselves to make sure that they're relevant uh, to the fields into which they'll be placing uh, students. So, and, and then the last thing I guess you'd say is uh, they use a metric like net promoter score to look at student satisfaction, and both alumni and students report high rates of satisfaction. So it seems that there's a lot of positive signs here uh, overall, and there's also a steady trajectory of improvement 
the objective information, perhaps, that, that a lot of us would love to see in the industry, of course, is lacking. So descriptively, it looks as if this is hardly the first place you would look at this point for trouble in American higher education. Um, and in fact, this seemingly very positive track record uh, drew praise. The Obama administration in particular repeatedly called out Western governors as a positive you know, innovator in, in the higher education landscape. So let's turn to what uh, has gotten the institution in a bit of trouble recently. The Office of the Inspector General within the Department of Education has been doing this audit for some five years now, I believe. What yep. exactly have they been looking at and, and you know, what led them to conduct this exercise in the first place? So in, in the Higher Education Act, which uh, was last reauthorized in, in uh, uh, I guess we're coming up uh, just a year shy of a decade, I think, so, so it's overdue for reauthorization, uh, there's basically a clause that defines distance education uh, and, and whether it's eligible for federal student financial aid. And in particular, there's a clause that says uh, there has to be regular and substantive faculty interaction in distance education courses for it to qualify. And the distinction that Congress was really interested in, I think, was to make sure that, uh, to, to distinguish it from correspondence courses, uh, where sort of the, you know, the classic uh, uh, view of is that you're doing a, a, a mail course where you're getting materials in the mail, you learn self-study, and you submit exams back through the mail and get feedback, but there's very little interaction with a faculty member. Uh, and they basically said, we don't want that to be eligible for full Title IV uh, and federal funding. Um, and so that's why they have this clause in there to make sure that there's actually a faculty member and it's a real educational program distinct from a correspondence course. Well, Western Governors University, in addition to being competency-based, given this very unique faculty model uh, that, it, that it uses where it's disaggregated the role of faculty members, uh, came into the eye of the uh, OIG, uh, so to speak, uh, to see are they violating this question of regular and substantive faculty interaction. And a lot of the audit really surrounded that one question in particular. And so Congress has said, we don't want students using Pell Grants to take courses via the mail. And in the way in which they've articulated that is that a institution is not eligible to receive federal financial aid if more than half of their courses are offered via correspondence, and I guess that's what the auditor said uh, Western governors had violated. Is that is that a correct understanding? Yeah, that's exactly right. They basically said that we're applying a few tests to see and, and look at individual courses uh, that a student would take, and uh, they said that they found over well over 50 percent, I think it was 60-some-odd percent uh, of the courses uh, that did not have regular and substantive faculty interaction that they would deem uh, uh, distance education and said, said, in essence, because of this, you're actually correspondence education, and you've been ineligible for all the federal uh, financial aid that you've been getting for the last many years and, and going forward as well, we believe. Now, how do you think the Trump administration is going to respond uh -huh. to this report from the inspector general? My understanding is that it's advisory, it's a set of recommendations, but they don't necessarily need to act on those recommendations. Is that correct? That's, yeah, that's right. So all indications are that the administration will ignore uh, the, the, uh, the recommendations and, and allow Western governors to continue to operate and not find them in any substantial measure. I, I think the concern is less uh, what will actually happen out of this and the cost and perhaps chill on innovation across the sector uh, as other uh, less resourced or less bipartisan uh, uh, popular institutions uh, maybe would be thrown into a similar limelight were they to try to do things like Western governors. So your piece is 
pretty tough on the office of the inspector general, but to some degree, it sounds to me like they're just doing their job of enforcing the higher education act as Congress enacted it. And yes, they maybe could have interpreted what counts as a correspondence education course, a, a bit more, uh, lenient or I guess narrowly, uh, to exclude what Western governors is doing. But isn't the real problem here with the approach to defining what a college degree constitutes in the Higher Education Act itself? Yeah, so 100%. The real problem is that Congress needs to reauthorize the Higher Education Act and modernize it uh, and get away from sort of arcane definitions of what quote-unquote distance education is. Uh, They still have references to microwave uh, transmission, for example, in the current Higher Education Act. Uh, and acknowledge that online learning is a pretty mainstream way of, of educating at this point and, and think through how we define that and, and reimburse for it. And, you know, I, I think there's other proposals, this separate conversation, but there have been other proposals around creating uh, lifetime education savings accounts and things like that that would introduce market pressures around pricing and into it that maybe would allow them to not have to be so concerned with defining every single input of whether a program is in or out, uh, basically, as as, uh, eligible for federal financial student aid. But given the current climate, there is the law as it is. And OIG, I think what a lot of us have said is they interpreted this clause overly narrowly uh, when when they delved in. Uh, And I I have some distinction, I I think, from some of my fellow commentators on on this question. Uh, But but there is a a matter of interpretation of Congress's language, and and my sense is that OIG overstepped on that. The issue of cost, I admit we sort of passed over when talking about the Western governor's uh, model at the outset of the conversation, but you brought it up now. uh, is its approach uh, intended in a large degree to bring down college costs, which is a, a uh, obviously a topic of great concern in the public conversation around higher education at this point? Yeah, so absolutely. So I mean, Western governors, right, the, the innovation, I, I would say, is aligning around workforce outcomes and making sure mastery, and then secondarily making sure that it's far more affordable uh, to do so, and it's, it's roughly a, a $6,000 uh, a, a year price point, if, if memory serves correctly, um, which is considerably less, obviously, than uh, traditional higher ed program, uh, considerably less all in from a cost perspective of a community college program, even, which, you know, community college tuition uh, might be around you know, anywhere from 1500 to $3,000, uh, but from a cost perspective is more around $13,000 uh, per, per, per student. Uh, and so Western Governors is considerably more affordable as an educational model. And it seems like the last thing we should do be doing at this point, exactly when cost-saving innovation is needed in higher education, is making it more difficult for institutions to do that and making institutions fearful of what may happen to them if they try to push the limit a little bit. I think that's right. And, and you know, there's a lot of institutions who sort of started to dip their toe into the innovation waters in higher ed, try to dance around the accreditation issues, start experimenting with competency-based learning, Personally, I think that's great. We need a big focus on the outcomes themselves. To put a chill on the inputs, uh, as this will do, I think is going to discourage a lot of auditors, excuse me, a lot of uh, accreditors and a lot of institutions from taking those bolder leaps and, and making those bolder innovations in the years ahead uh, under, the, uh, uh, under the auspices of federal uh, financial student aid. And so uh, any innovation over the next few years, I think, un- until we see a new Higher Education Act, 
much more likely to occur outside uh, of the system and probably at subscale. Last thing I would just say, Marty, for what it's worth, I think a lot of attention has been called to people getting angry at the OIG for saying their definition of faculty member was overly narrow and excluded uh, a couple people in that Western governor's ecosystem of, of faculty member or instructor. My read actually is that, you know, it, it was somewhat whimsical how they did it, but it's not the most problematic thing of what they did. The most problematic thing is when they reviewed the syllabi of Western Governors University courses, they basically said, we don't see in the syllabus specifically called out moments of regular and substantive faculty interaction in a syllabus, regardless of whether it actually happens in real life. And I'm just surprised that they wouldn't have audited uh, in some way the, the digital trail of the actual interactions themselves to make a determination as opposed to relying on uh, on one document at the front end, of course. If what's on the syllabus becomes the basis for the regulation, then I imagine it would be pretty easy for institutions to respond by changing their syllabi. I, I, I think it creates a, an, an unbelievable uh, loophole to do so, of course, um, and also just a dangerous precedent uh, to, to, to use a document like that uh, to, to try to judge the nature of, of the instruction itself. One Maybe one positive thing that could come out of this whole episode is that by creating a regulatory challenge for a large and widely respected, increasingly prominent institution like Western Governors, perhaps this will call attention to some of the legislative barriers to innovation that do need to be addressed in the Higher Education Act itself. Oftentimes we try and blame a lack of innovation in higher education either on the decisions that accreditors are making, the decisions that entities like the Office of the Inspector General are making, or just sort of a uh, hidebound traditionalism among higher ed institutions. But it seems to me that there really are some barriers in legislation that reflect a failure to update federal law for a new environment that really do need some attention. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think that's the silver lining in all of this, which is uh, Higher Education Act is overdue for reauthorization. Uh, we know it's somewhat on the radar, but hopefully this uh, accelerates it on, on the radar of, you know, Senators Alexander and Murray, uh, and hopefully uh, uh, galvanize the bipartisan support for Western governors into bipartisan support for an updated and modernized uh, Higher Education Act. And, and I think one thing we also didn't say is Western Governors today serves roughly 90,000 students. There's a lot riding, uh, I would say, on, on, on getting this right, and, and hopefully that spurs Congress to do so. My guest today has been Michael Horn, Distinguished Fellow at the Clayton Christensen Institute for Disruptive Innovations and Executive Editor at Education Next. You can find his column, Government Accountability Goes Unaccountable, Chilling Western Governor University's Innovation Engine, online at www.educationnext.org. Michael, thanks for being part of the podcast. Thanks so much, Marty. You've been listening to the Ednext Podcast. If you like what you've heard, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or another platform so that you don't miss an episode. And while you're there, please leave us a review. It helps us find more listeners and more listeners to find us.